Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 11:50 a.m. The Dog Show is brought to you in part by the Natural Pet Pantry, my favorite raw food company. They're locally made. The plant is cleaner than my kitchen, and I keep a pretty clean kitchen. And uh, you can find them online at naturalpetpantry.com. They have, I bet they have less dogs running through uh, <laughs> their kitchen or their plant than you have. I would kitchen. imagine they don't have any dogs in their <laughs> yeah. plant. Yeah, that's the guess. <laughs> yeah. But they make uh, they also make cat food too, Eric. So I'll have to bring you. I think I've brought you some samples of their. I think you did, and I cats. and I I believe uh, the cats loved it. Yeah, your cats are pretty psyched that you are the um, booth engineer and program coordinator for KKNW. <laughs> they have because of the dog yes. show connection. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, this week we are celebrating International Assistance Dog Week. And with us today in the booth, back on the show, is Gene Hample, who's the president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. Welcome back to the dog show, Gene. Good to be back, Julie. Always nice to have you here. We're going to be talking all things assistance dogs today. Uh, starting in the first segment, uh, Gene is going to um, sort of go through the different types of assistance dogs. A lot of people think that a service dog is a guide dog for someone who is blind, and that's sort of it. Or, you know, there's lots of different um, types of tasks and types of disabilities that assistance dogs and service dogs can help mitigate. And uh, then we'll go on and we'll talk about um, different ways to get an assistance dog, different types of training, different structures, traits of a good service dog candidate, Uh, meeting the emotional and physical needs of a working service dog. And we'll talk about some legal and other fun stuff as well. So, Gene, would you start off and just tell us, well, first of all, so this week is an International Assistance Dog Week. So it is a week to celebrate the dogs and the work that they do. And I imagine also, as we're doing today, to educate the community and um, bring some awareness around assistance dogs. Exactly. I think that uh, the dogs are frequently the unsung heroes of the partnership between a disabled person and the dog that helps them. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terminology, the term assistance dogs was really coined by Assistance Dogs International and the International Association Mm -hmm. of Assistance Dogs, and they try to get uh, the government to actually change the term that they used uh, but the, they chose to to maintain the term service animal rather than assistance animal. Mm-hmm. And when you say animal, so we talk about dogs, but what are other animals that can be assistance animals or service animals? You know, actually, uh, we sort of, within the industry, we sort of chuckled when, when the American with Disability Act was uh, re- redefined a service animal, yeah. Because in the past, service animals could be other animals, and now the definition is simply a service animal is defined as a dog oh. uh, that are individually trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So we asked them why they didn't just change service animal to service dog, but mm-hmm. they kept the term animal in their definition because it would have meant changing so many lines in the American with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. So they just change the definition. Less work. 
less work. So I think from last year, the year before, we were talking about um, it used to be that like ponies or horses used to be on there. They left a little line in the very bottom of the uh, rules and regulations that said that a miniature horse could be a reasonable accommodation. So while they are not within the definition of service animal, they sort of grandfathered them in and said that if the place of public accommodation could have a a horse in, that it was that they ought to do it. Mm -hmm. But they gave them much more leeway simply because of of the fact that it was a horse and not a dog. Mm. So the the key there for me is is the tasks and that it's uh, a dog that's trained to to perform a specific task or tax tasks that mitigate the symptom of the person's disability or mitigate the disability. So give us some examples of what types of tasks for different types of disabilities a service dog might perform. You know, even in the definition they went of the in the American Disabilities Act, they start they actually list work or tasks and some of the things they used were guiding people who are blind and mm-hmm. we refer to those as guide dogs, mm-hmm. alerting people who are deaf or hard of hearing and we refer to that as a hearing dog. Mm-hmm. And then any other disability uh, is consi- is considered under the umbrella of assistance dogs, any disability other than uh, visual or auditory uh, are considered service dogs. And so pulling a wheelchair, alerting a person who's having a seizure, reminding a person to take their medications, calming a person with post-traumatic stress disorder, that is uh, recognized by the American with Disabilities Act, and it's very new because we're seeing this in the soldiers that are coming home uh, from Iraq and Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. uh, to assist during anxiety attacks and to perform other duties. What's really interesting is the uh, American with Disability Act actually said that dogs whose sole function is to provide comfort or emotional support or protection are not service animals. Mm -hmm. And so the dogs do, in fact, have to do tasks or do work. And that we had when we were, they were changing the definition, uh, you know, many people thought they should just leave the word work out because it was um, too generalized but and just use the word tasks. But they're really pretty synonymous. Mm-hmm. If you look up a definition of the word work, it says to do tasks. And if you look up the word definition of tasks, mm-hmm. it's do work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that what when a person has a disability, what they have to do is look at what they're able to do and what they're not able to do, and then what things can a dog be trained to do, That and training is the hallmark of a service dog. Mm-hmm. So what things can a service dog be trained to do that will help this person perform their activities of daily living to as high a level as possible? Mm-hmm. So what are some examples, like when you say, I think probably the type of assistance dog that people are most familiar with would be a guide dog. So guide dogs uh, for somebody who's without sight. Now, what about hearing dogs? What would be like some of the day-to-day, like what would a hearing dog do for someone without hearing? Hearing dogs were the original alert dogs, and they alerted to sound. Mm-hmm. And so, if they heard it, if depending on your lifestyle, the big thing with most people who are hard of hearing is being home alone, 
and not hearing their smoke alarm. Mm. So one of the most important sounds we teach a dog to respond to is the sound of a smoke alarm. Mm. But we really like to get to things before they burn. And so the dogs are trained to listen for the buzzer on the stove Mm -hmm. uh, to say, you know, you're finished baking because we take that for granted. We put something in the oven to bake. And if we're not, if we're on the computer and not watching what we're doing and the alarm goes off and we say, oh, the pie is done. Yeah. Well, the dog would come and say to the person, hey, the pie is done. Right. Because they hear the sound knocking on the door. Right. uh, The telephone. Yep. And while there are other adaptive devices, such as flashing lights when the telephone rings, the dog is so quick to to do that work mm-hmm. and and dogs that are chosen to be hearing dogs are dogs that are more reactive not in a bad way but mm-hmm. more reactive than other dogs because they care you know there could be noise all over my house and my golden retriever would just sleep through it she could care less about sound right but other dogs are very much more aware of sound yeah and and too like um like if you drop something and you didn't, like you drop your keys or something like that and you wouldn't necessarily know about it. And that's true. And, you know, that's one of the things that one, some of the larger hearing dog programs don't teach their hearing dogs to retrieve, mm. which I, I always found interesting, just like the guide dog programs don't teach their guide dogs to retrieve. But dropping keys is a big problem. Yeah. And when we've worked with some of the hearing dogs, we've actually taught them to at least alert to keys being dropped. Yeah. Uh, and I like to teach them to pick them up. Right. Well, I know for myself, I mean, if I'm out, and it would be usually I'm out with my dogs or something, and I've got my keys in my pocket, or so I'm just holding them along with the poop bags and the leashes and all that stuff, and I've dropped them and if I didn't hear that I had dropped them, I would not have known it, and then I would have been without my keys. That's a, I mean, that type of thing to me is a big deal. It is, but now, see, all you need to do is teach your dogs to go back and find. Yeah. Good nose work skill. Yeah, and I've got cattle dogs, so they're busy. Okay, so um, so we're talking about, we've, uh, in honor of International Assistance Dog Week, we're talking with Gene Hample, who's the president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, we talked about the legal definition of a service animal. Jean, would you read that again? Service animals are defined as dogs that are individually trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to say service animals are working animals, not pets. The work or task a dog has trained to provide must be directly related to the person's disability. And a dog whose sole function is to provide comfort or emotional support do not qualify as a service animal under the American with Disabilities Act. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking more with Gene Hample, president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, 
raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. Want a faster metabolism? Desperate for more energy throughout the day? Food is our most powerful medicine, and on Passionate Nutrition Radio, I'll answer your burning nutrition questions and offer real solutions for your family. On Passionate Nutrition Radio, you'll learn how to transform how you look and feel with the foods that you eat. My name is Jennifer Adler, and I'm a nutritionist, chef, and founder of Passionate Nutrition, a nutrition practice with six locations throughout the greater Puget Sound area. Join me on Passionate Nutrition Radio for a weekly serving of nutrition wisdom. Learn more at PassionateNutrition.com. That's Passionate Nutrition every Friday at noon. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to In Clover, makers of Connectin, Optigest, and Glow, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 11th, doctors Jude and Paul Ponton, chiropractors, acupuncturists, harmonic and energy healers, and authors of Acutonics for Dogs and Cats join me. Learn more about harmonic healing for our animal friends, call in for remote healings, and hear all about harmonic and energetic space clearing. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes. Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Write it down, shout it loud. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Now, wasn't that fun? Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. This week, we are celebrating International Assistance Dog Week. And in honor of that, we have Gene Hample back with us on the show. Gene is the president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. Welcome back, Gene. We started uh, in, the, in the first segment talking about the definition, the legal definition of a service animal and um, talked about the different types of assistance dogs and some of the different types of tasks that they can do for people. And um, if you've missed any part of this show, this is our 180th episode, Gene. Uh, if you've missed any of our any of our past shows or any part of this show, you can find it all archived online two different ways. One is on our website, dogradioshow.com. The other is on iTunes as a free podcast. And you can find more about the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, which is Gene's organization, by going to assistancedogclub.org. So next, Gene, I'd like to talk about the different ways that people get a service dog. Um, And I think that this is, I mean, I think that it's all important information, um, but it's it's such a, a world that the general public really knows nothing about. And um, I think it's, it's a disservice to the people with disabilities who work with service animals and who benefit from having an assistance dog when you have people who, 
illegitimately call their pet dog a service dog so that they can fly with them or whatever so that they can take them out into public um you know it makes it makes it that much harder for people who really are legitimate and there's so many different ways that people can get a service dog and there's a lot of good ways so let's talk about the diff- those different types of ways that people can get a service dog you know julie i get so many phone calls and people will say to me i i want I would either want my dog that I have to be certified as a service dog, and, of course, legally no certification is required, or they say, my doctor gave me a prescription for a service dog. How do I get one? Mm-hmm. And though people hear about service dogs, they, they truly don't understand all that it takes to, to make a, a dog a service dog. Mm-hmm. And so I usually begin with asking them, you know, do they have a disability? And then tell me about the dog you already have. Does it do any tasks for you? Mm-hmm. And then we inevitably get into the conversation of how to really get a service dog. Mm-hmm. And obviously the the easiest way, or the, I shouldn't say necessarily easiest, I should say that, you know, in my uh, my opinion, the best way to get a service dog is to get a service dog from a program mm-hmm. because the dogs are... Usually, if it's a, a bona fide program or a program through Assistance Dogs International or a uh, for-profit, which is all nonprofit programs, or a for-profit program that have, you know, follow standards, mm-hmm. that you're going to get a dog that has been puppy raised, has been spent time with trainers, who has been temperament tested, is orthopedically sound. And you're going to get a dog that has been chosen because it has the ability and the skills to work with people with disabilities. And so my, I always encourage people to go that direction. Uh, you can also use a private trainer. And then I always ask them if they say, well, I'm using a private trainer. And my question is always, has this trainer ever worked with service dogs before? Mm-hmm. You know, what is their background? Because it's really very different. Mm-hmm. Very frequently, I'll get trainers who say, you know, I want to start training service dogs. And I'll say to them, have you ever worked with people with disabilities before? Mm-hmm. Because that is really different. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a, uh, you have to combine the two things. Uh, some people owner train their dogs. And There's so many pitfalls to owner training because I don't know about you, but I tend to fall in love with the dogs that are at my house. And if someone told me that with all of their foibles, I had to give them up, Mm -hmm. it would be very difficult. And so what I frequently see with owner trainers is that their heart's in the right place and they're trying, but the dog that they're working with doesn't want to do that job. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a nurse by profession. If someone told me I had to work 24 hours a day, I would change my profession. Mm -hmm. So you look at the dogs and just not all dogs are up for the job. Mm -hmm. And programs figure that out pretty quickly. And they, through their assessment of the dogs, they know when a dog is not happy doing the job and they find it a wonderful home where it can be a happy pet, Mm -hmm. where a person who's in an apartment, they can have only one dog and this dog is not going to be a good service dog, tend to try to make it happen anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the dog is substandard. And I mean, I'm not saying that there are not some wonderful owner-trained dogs out there. Uh, I know some of them. But mm-hmm. in general, I 
frequently look at the dogs and even within our own club that the dogs are really trying mm-hmm. and the people have done as good a job as they can but they're not professional trainers mm-hmm. and but the dogs are really not happy doing the job yeah and that just brings up such an important point in the world of assistance dogs is you know, in part of the selection and this, you know, we can kind of go into like what makes, what are the qualities of a good service dog candidate that you would want it to be if you ask the dog, do you want to do this? That the dog would say yes, that this is a life that the dog would choose for themselves if they had the option because they don't. Um, and I think that you make a great point that with one of the potential problems with owner train, and I know this would I could see myself doing this if I were in that place of like, oh, my gosh, I've just worked with this dog for six months and uh, this dog is showing me these behaviors and it's not appropriate for this dog to be my service dog. But there's a lot of emotion involved, a lot of attachment with the animal. And so is somebody going to rehome that dog and get another dog and start all over again. I mean, it makes it so much more complicated rather than being able to really objectively look at the dog and say, okay, well, oh, this turns out this dog does this not, you know, not going to, not going to work out as a program would be able to do. It's very true, Julie. And it's one of the, you know, there's pros and cons of, of each this program trained a lot of times, you know, most of the programs use labs, goldens or lab golden crosses and the programs do that because those dogs tend to puppy raise, go to a trainer, and go to a new home because anyone who owns Labs and Goldens know if you have a if you have food in your hand, they love you instantly. Where other breeds of dogs, it's much more they they're more one person dogs. They it becomes very traumatic for them to move from uh, from mm-hmm. per, a trainer to a trainer to their person. Mm-hmm. And you know we can look at those dogs and say, hey you're going to make it or you're not going to make it. But we don't have the, we have the time and the love of dogs invested, but we also look at the dog and say, I want my dog to be as happy as I want the disabled person to be when they're working with this dog. Mm -hmm. Where people who are owner training can get a breed they really like. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, I, I couldn't live with a lab or golden. And I've lived with golden retrievers for 40 years and I couldn't imagine living without a Lab or Golden. But I have friends that absolutely love German Shepherds mm-hmm. and silly Labs and Goldens, not the breed they want. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the pros of owner training is if you find the right dog. And this is true of any breed of dog yeah. that we use. It has to still be the right dog within that breed. Right. Yeah. And I, you, So if you found the right German Shepherd, yeah, it probably would be a better marriage than being married to a golden retriever, mm-hmm. you know. So that's one of you know one of the things that people will frequently say when they choose to own or train. Mm-hmm. But I have uh, friends that own or train that are excellent trainers, and I think when dog trainers become disabled, they have so many more options. Yeah, and that was my next point, based off of what you've been talking about, is what have you seen, you know, as far as the success rate, but also the you know, the experience for the dog because dog training is a profession and you're either professional or not. And it, it's a set of, it's a skill set and a perspective that happens after having lots of experience and 
usually some sort of training background or apprenticeship with somebody else. I mean, I've been training dogs for 10 years and I'm still learning as much as I, it's just in a different way, but still learning and learning and in, and to have somebody who's not a trainer at all, try to train a dog themselves, let alone a service dog where the training is that much more. I mean, I would think it would be potentially stressful on a dog, especially when we're talking about mental health service dogs or psychiatric service dogs. If a person suffers from anxiety or agoraphobia or post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, teaching a dog public access training when you're anxious in public, I, I would imagine would potentially sort of rub off on the dog. You know, it does. Dogs pick up on our stress. It's one of the, the wonderful bonds we have with them that we say, our, my dog understands me. Nobody else understands me, but my dog does. So your dogs do feed off you, which mm-hmm. is why the dog has to have a bomb-proof personality Yeah. so that they don't become overly stressed when you're overly stressed. Uh, I think that the most success that I've seen with owner trainers have been the people that have been willing to work with a professional trainer. Mm -hmm. So while the dog lives with them and they're doing the training Monday through Friday, one day a week, they're going to a class, they're working with a professional trainer who is helping them along with the process. Mm -hmm. The people who, you know, try to do it from information online, Mm. not so good. No. And that's the thing about dog training in general is that you can't learn about it by reading because it's about working with a live animal. And I've seen this, and I'm sure you've seen this with your training clients for obedience training is, and I get people who have read five different books and if anything, they're more confused now because of all the, all the information out there. But I could say, okay, this is what you do. And, you know, just give them a general background. But then once they have the leash in their hand, it's like, wait, what? This, you know, they're working with a live animal. It's a, it takes takes practice, and I think the importance of having a professional watch you work your dog and be able to coach you and give you feedback and see things that you're not going to be able to see yourself. And then that's a benefit, too, of your group that you have, Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, is that you provide support for people who live with assistance dogs or who train assistance dogs or who have someone in their life who has an assistance dog. I think that owner trainers can become very isolated if they're not careful, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why they go to the Internet mm-hmm. uh, to, to get information on the different, like, Yahoo groups. But that information, it's, it's so generalized, and no matter how specific you try to be about the problem you're having, uh, most people don't want to hear what the professional trainers have to say uh, because that means their dog isn't going to make it, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. And then, you know, to encourage them to then go and work with a trainer. And, and for owner trainers, part of the, some of the problem is that sometimes they are on very low income. Mm-hmm. And so when you're saying to them, you need to be taking obedience classes, you need to be going through to the canine good citizenship test, and you need to be there, they either live in some tiny little town where none of that is available, right. or they truly think they can't afford to do it and Mm -hmm. and but to me that's part of the commitment when you decide that you want to have a service dog and you think you want to own or train is that you have to factor in the cost yeah service dogs are not inexpensive you have to feed them you have to give them amazingly wonderful vet care you have to feed good food Mm -hmm. and 
You have to groom them. So if you choose a breed that really needs a lot of grooming, you have to be able to groom them, and you have to be able to afford training. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking more about uh, all things assistance dogs in celebration of International Assistance Dog Week. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Do you have an injury, old or new, that won't heal? Are you fighting a colder illness you can't kick? Do you feel like you've tried everything and are still struggling to find wellness and balance in your physical health? Have you been unimpressed with acupuncture in the past? For over a decade, Robert Meduzia has been making a difference for people who thought they had exhausted their options. Don't settle for pain and illness. Call 425-828-6190. That's 425-828-6190. Again, 425-828-6190. The Acupuncture and Sports Clinic of Kirkland. Heal faster, play longer. Good afternoon, Seattle, and welcome to the Joker Show. I'm Joe Janot, live on Alternative Talk Radio. If you're going to have the Joker Show, you have to have on the town with Lisa. You know, there is a lot of blogging and twittering about Seattle Sonics. I think the expansion is coming sooner than we expect. And then at the 2 o'clock hour, man, we're going to talk boobs. So we brought in a cool cat from Three Point Production to talk about the event. Talking about a documentary. There's not any documentary. Talk about hip-hop, about the vibe of Seattle, and how it sort of progressed. We're talking food, sports, and fun every Friday, 1 to 3, here on Alternative Talk 1150 with The Jopra Show. Hi, I'm Pat Pauly. Tune into my show, Get Active, each Tuesday at 12 noon on Alternative Talk 1150. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about one of the wonderful activities in the Puget Sound region ones that you may want to participate in. We'll focus on how adult beginners can comfortably get into all of these activities. You'll learn a lot about how you can get active. Be sure to listen. That's Get Active with me, Pat Polly, at 12 noon each Tuesday on Alternative Talk 1150. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients Ingredients. Their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burian shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. 1150kknw.com, your connection to Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. I love that song. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. We're back with Gene Hample, who's the president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, talking about all things assistance dogs in honor of International Assistance Dog Week, which is this week. And in the last segment, we were talking about the different ways to get a service dog, some of the benefits and challenges of owner training versus getting a dog through a program. 
And um, if you've missed any part of this show or any of our last 180 episodes, you can find them all archived online at www.dogradioshow.com. You can also find us on iTunes as a free audio podcast. And we have a Facebook page, too. Uh, Join us on Facebook and be part of the conversation in between our live shows, which are every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Just search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Facebook. And uh, Gene, the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, is also on Facebook as well, correct? That's correct. And you can find them online at assistancedogclub.org to learn more about Gene's wonderful organization. So, Gene, you have, uh, how long have you been in the service dog world? I started in 1992, Mm -hmm. which is making me feel really old at this (laughs) point, uh, on the board of directors of the Prison Pet Partnership Program. Mm. And then I was the director of the program for four years. And Mm -hmm. when I retired from that, I started the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. So you have been, you have a really valuable perspective in having so much experience and having seen you know, there's nothing, no replacement, I think, for actual experience in any field. And um, you, one of the important topics that you really wanted to make sure that we talk about today is the importance of, you know, no matter how you choose to get a service dog, whether it's owner train or through a program, really making sure that you speak to the importance of doing your research and having a contract. So we talk more about that? I would like to because I think that sometimes people, you know, almost they feel they don't feel empowered for starters. Um, when you're when you want a service dog, most people who come to the to the realization that they could benefit from the use of a service dog or they've seen a show about service dogs and think they could benefit from the use of a service dog, they they almost are a little desperate when they start to look we see this very frequently in parents of like children with autism, mm-hmm. which is a, a type of service dog that's newer. Uh, they want a little bit of a quick fix, and they feel that a dog would help, which the dogs, in fact, can be very helpful. Right. And there are, unfortunately, people out there who prey on people who are a little desperate. Mm-hmm. And people don't do the research into um, what makes a program a good program. And for me, I like to see things in writing, Mm -hmm. which means that any time you're working with a trainer or a program, it can be an Assistance Dogs International member program or a private trainer, you really want to ask them what their contract is like. And when you look at that contract, you want to make sure the contract speaks to the health of the dog as well as to the rights of you as the client, what are the rights of the program, and what what things um, are appear to be important to the program. When mm. I first got into service dogs, the contracts, it was like you were buying a car, but if we didn't like the way you drove it, we took it back. Mm-hmm. So everything had to do with the program intrusion in your life, um, and not a lot of what you could re- expect of the program. Mm-hmm. So if something went wrong, you knew that if you told the program, they'd come and take your dog away. Mm-hmm. 
But because there wasn't what will they do before that happens? And I was in the unfortunate situation at one point of having to say to somebody, uh, I really want your dog back. This dog is not, unfortunately, not appropriate. It was a dog who was placed before I was the director, and the dog had aggression issues. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want the dog out there as a service dog. And finally, we just told the person, you know, you have to give us our vest back. I didn't want to get into a big court case. I didn't doubt the fact that she loved this dog. Right. It's just that the dog was not appropriate. And our contract was wanting on how we could deal with that. And Mm -hmm. so I think both as trainers who may be listening out uh, to this, Mm -hmm. they need to have a good contract. But people looking for service dogs need to know that that contract will protect them. Mm-hmm. I, I have cannot tell you how many people I've said, they'll say, well, you know, I'm getting supposed to get this dog, but I was supposed to have it six months ago, and now I'm still on a waiting list. And I'll say, well, what does your contract say? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have anything in writing. Yeah, and oops. then did you give this person any money? Well, yes, I've given them money yeah. and nothing's in writing. So I think it's really important to do your research. Also to ask for references, to ask to talk to other people who have gotten dogs from that program or who have worked with that trainer and to find out how the partnerships are going. Yeah, and their experience of the company or organization. And you said that um, because I talked with you off the air about the things that the stories that I've heard of people who have worked with a a company or organization and have paid for a dog and then got a dog sent to them that didn't work out for various different reasons. And then there's nobody on the other end to talk to about it. It's just like too bad, which to me sounds like a scam. And you said that you even heard of a, a group that sent a puppy to be a service dog. Exactly. And the dog was supposed to be a a diabetic alert dog for a child. And it was a seven-week-old puppy. And they kept saying, oh, you know, everything is going to be fine. This dog is going to be able to alert when the child's in school and it's at home. And, you know, and it's just red flags. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. And so, you know, it is a problem. You want to be getting, you know, If you're going to puppy raise your own dog, that's one thing. But we look at service dogs. Dogs have to be two years of age because at that point we know that they have good hips and good elbows. Their temperaments are pretty well set by the time they're two years. They're they're maturing, and what you see is what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. Um, Dogs younger than that keep changing. You can't be sure that their hips are good. You you can't be sure that their temperaments are going to remain the same. Dogs go through multiple fear periods growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you just don't have any assurance when you're getting somebody sending you a dog saying, well, you know, this is going to be a service dog. It, it's a puppy. It's all well, it's going to be. Yeah. And what about the dog, too? I mean, that to me, uh, you know, for me, it's a welfare issue for the animal, as well. I mean, I think that's a huge part of any organization or company's responsibility is that they are an advocate for the dog, that they are protecting the dog in all the ways that they need to do that, recognizing if it's not a, not a life that the dog would want. If it would, would the dog be happy in it? Or does the dog have some sort of health issue that would make them uncomfortable? 
you know, a hip dysplasia or something like that. The other thing, too, is when with these long-distance placements, you know, when dogs are, are sent and this is going to be your service dog, is that a good program does team training. Mm-hmm. And they work with you. Some of the programs do place puppies, uh, especially some of the programs that work with children with autism because they find that dogs that grow up in that home you know, take it better in stride and if it's a healthy puppy to begin with. But they work very closely one-on-one. They have a trainer in the area that is working with these people and the dog and can provide respite mm-hmm. for the dog mm. uh, because living in a home with little children can can sometimes be a little stressful. It's nice for the dog to get out and take a break, just like moms want babysitters. Right. Um, and, th- and that's legitimate. But to send with no support, Any dog, be it an adult or a child, without teaching the person how to handle the dog and to be able to watch how well the person and the dog do together is just really important. Mm -hmm. And um, quickly before the next break, Jean, what are some of the the traits that you look for in a dog when you're considering them as a service dog? You know, one of the key phrases that there's actually a wonderful book out called Bomb Proof. And service dogs have to be bomb-proof. They have to be the kind of dog that no matter what happens around them, they go, you know, oh, well, I guess it's okay. Let's just move on to the next thing. They have to have really good recovery. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets startled. It's how we handle being startled. Right. So the dog has to be able to recover. Uh, the dog, as we said, has to be healthy, orthopedically sound. It has to be the right-sized dog for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to have a stellar temperament. It mm-hmm. can't be reactive to other dogs. It can't bark when it's surprised. Um, you know, I look at the dogs that make really good service dogs. They're one in a million. They are, anybody would want to own that dog. When I used to get dogs out of the shelter, the, the director of the shelter would say, well, you take all our good dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I said, I do. I do that on purpose because this is the kind of dog we need to use for service dogs. Mm -hmm. They're not a rehabilitation project. Mm -mm. If they have a problem when you get them, they're not going to make it as a service dog. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Jean Hampel, who's the president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Electric Incorporated is a full-service electrical contractor. From simple home repairs to full remodels, new construction, and small commercial projects, our qualified electricians do it all. We pride ourselves on our workmanship and professional standards, delivered with value in mind. Located in historic Ballard, Kemley Electric serves the greater Seattle metropolitan area, licensed, bonded, and insured. Kemley Electric welcomes all inquiries about your electrical needs. Visit the website kemleyelectric.com. That's K-E-M-L-Y electric.com. Hi, I'm Martha Childress with the Natural Choice Network. Join us every Tuesday at 1230 p.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Each week, we invite leaders from our sustainable community to share their unique visions and valuable insights. You'll learn great tools to make your life greener, healthier, 
and more sustainable for generations to come. Thank you for making The Natural Choice. That's The Natural Choice Network every Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Please join us. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to In Clover, makers of Connectin, Optigest, and Glow, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 11th, doctors Jude and Paul Ponton, chiropractors, acupuncturists, harmonic and energy healers, and authors of Acutonics for Dogs and Cats join me. Learn more about harmonic healing for our animal friends, call in for remote healings, and hear all about harmonic and energetic space clearing. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Remember, you're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And we're back talking with Gene Hampel, president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound in honor of International Assistance Dog Week, which is this week. And if you've missed any part of this show, you can find it archived online at dogradioshow.com. You can also find us as a free download from iTunes. If you just go to their audio podcast section Search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes and download us for free. And this is our 180th episode, uh, so there's lots of dog show available for listening online as well. So in the last segment today, Gene, I'd like to talk about information for people who don't have service dogs, uh, service dog etiquette. Uh, what should people know about what what is the appropriate way to interact with or not interact with a a service animal when they see a dog out because they do attract quite a bit of attention. Oh, and, you know, people might be curious about the dog or just want to pet the dog or what are some things that the general public should really know about service dog etiquette? You know, it, when I go out and I see somebody with a service dog and in my area, a lot of times I know the people or they're people that I think, oh, I'm going to ask them if they want to join the assistance dog club. Mm-hmm. And I have to stop myself and go, you know, I bet you that person's just trying to grocery shop. Yeah. And they really don't need me being intrusive in their life because people get a service dog to make their life easier. And it's not show and tell. So, you know, and I, and I still have to stop myself because I'm curious and I, I want to know where they got the dog and... I know better than to pet the dog, but I'm still, I want information. And and you just have to realize that you don't walk up to everybody in the street and go, I love that sweater you have on. Where did you get it? Mm-hmm. Or that's a great purse. Can I, can I hold it for a minute? Mm-hmm. You know, and yet people will do that 
to someone's dog. And a person's service dog is no different from their walker, their cane, their wheelchair. It is really a medical assistive device mm-hmm. and one that shouldn't be interfered with. So some of the important things to remember is since service dogs have right to public access, which means you should see them in grocery stores and restaurants and hotels and you know, places you go, that one, never, ever, ever touch a service dog. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them will have a patch that say, please uh, don't pet, mm-hmm. or they'll have a patch. Some of them will actually have a patch that said, you know, will say, please ask. And, you know, if you're standing in a line and nothing else is going on and the person's in front of you, you know, you might say, oh, what a beautiful dog kind of thing and, and see what the person's response is. But just the way you wouldn't move a person's wheelchair around, You don't want to be moving or pushing or touching their service dog. Mm. And it is very, for a lot of dogs, especially Labs and Goldens, they're so social that, you know, being played with by another person is just the best thing in the whole world. And it makes it hard for them to concentrate on what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. You also, people will tell me, and I've never seen this, you know, but people will frequently say to me, you know, would you believe I was in the store and somebody started barking at my service dog? Oh, my. I I have had that happen to me before, not with the service dog, but with just in my life. And I can't stand it. Well, and you wonder <laughs> why someone would even do that. But that but don't make That's noises. Funny. You know, don't make that wonderful clicky sound we all make when we're trying to get a dog's attention. Uh, don't ever try to feed a service dog. For a myriad of reasons, but you never know if the dog's allergic to things. But it's so distracting because, again, like socialization, food is a basic dog's need. And so you, you, we become their friends really fast with food. Mm-hmm. And it's why we use food in training. So you never want to give food. For a restaurant, I've had restaurants ask me, can I bring the dog water? Can I bring the dog food? And, you know, and I always say, thank you for offering, but no thank you. You know, the dog needs to know in the restaurant that, Food is not anything that dog is ever going to get in the restaurant Mm -hmm. so that the dog doesn't expect it. Don't ask questions about a person's disability. You know, one, from a store perspective, that's legal. Mm -hmm. But from our curiosity, it's just rude. Yeah. And so you don't want to do that. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if you're in the line, you say, oh, what a beautiful dog. And the person says, thank you. You know, we tend to say, well, what does the dog do for you? You know, don't be surprised if somebody chooses not to answer that question, because in answering the question, you're frequently telling the person what your disability is. And especially with invisible disabilities, you know, if I'm in a wheelchair and the dog pulls my wheelchair and retrieves my wallet that I happened to drop while I was in line, everyone knows what that dog does for me. But if right. I have a mental health issue or I have epilepsy, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to say it's a seizure alert dog or the dog gives me space and searches my house when I, for, when I come home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually asking what the dog does can be intrusive. Now, mm-hmm. a caveat to that is a place of public accommodation, if they're not sure that the person who's come in has a real service dog, and fake service dogs are a problem, uh, they can ask two questions. One, is that a service dog needed because of your disability? And two, what tasks does the dog perform? Mm-hmm. But the only people that can ask that are actually like the manager of the store, uh, but you as public citizen just walking around have no right to ask any of those questions. Mm-hmm. Even if you think that the dog is a fake, then you should go to the manager of the store and allow the manager of the mm-hmm. store to handle the situation. And then they are not even, they can ask what 
what the tasks are, but they're not allowed to say, okay, we'll demonstrate it. No, they're not. And if your tasks are easy tasks, one of the ways as a, from a service dog handler perspective to get around that is you, uh, if retrieving is one of the tasks, you oops your keys or you oops something onto the floor and say to the dog, fetch it up. Mm-hmm. And when the dog does it in front of the person, they go, okay. But that's not the show and tell for you know, but a lot of times, a lot of people will do that simply because it's just easier. Um, sometimes people will hand you a card that has information. Like our assistance dog club has cards that have the law on it and just some information of what you can and can't do. Uh, sometimes that's just easier than taking the time mm-hmm. uh, to to give information. Uh, the other thing is that if a person says well, I'm afraid of dogs or I'm allergic to dogs, then it's just simply a matter of staying away from the service dog. The person with a disability has a right to be accompanied by a fully trained service dog. And your fear of a dog or your allergies don't overshadow that person's right. They have It has to be accommodated, and the easiest way to accommodate that is to move yourself away from, from the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a business person and you truly are afraid or allergic, you can go get another coworker and ask them to wait on the person with the dog. Mm-hmm. So just to remember that dogs should be, service dogs should be invisible. Right. Their behavior should be so good that you, if you're in a restaurant with one, the only way you knew, even knew it was there is when it got up and walked out of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And any thing that you do that brings more attention to the dog really distracts the dog and is is annoying to the person. Yeah. Well, uh, this week is International Assistance Dog Week, and uh, so that's what uh, prompted the interview. We've had Jean on the show a few times now, several times, and you can find all of her past interviews archived on our website, dogradioshow.com, also as a free download on iTunes. Jean is the president and founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. You can find them online at assistancedogclub.org. And, um, you know, there's so much to so much to this world of service animals and uh, so much to know and so much that people, general public and, and also people who are thinking about a service dog for themselves – just don't know. And there's so much to know. And unfortunately, there's so much that can go wrong. And it, that's it's even that much more important for people to really be educated to if they're going to go through a program to do the research, to make sure that they're protected, to make sure that they have a great contract. Um, you know, there's just so many parts to the puzzle and for it to be successful, um, you know, is not not necessarily an easy task and it's a great service that you give people who have assistance dogs by offering the support of your club. So uh, always wonderful to have you on the show and uh, just hear about your expertise in the industry. And again, you can find Jean online at assistancedogclub.org. We're also both on Facebook, Assistance Dog Club and of Puget Sound, and then also The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week, Wednesday, live at 2.00.